Um, I think during the announcements, they announced about all the prayer sets and <clears throat> small groups that meet throughout the week. Um, one additional announcement, because this is only going to be for four weeks, um, for those of you that don't know, Soraya Abaru, Soraya, why don't you raise your hand? I don't know. If she, oh, here's Soraya. Soraya is leading a Monday night. Um, it's a worship and prayer set, but specifically um, centered around emotional and physical healing, a time to soak in the presence of God and receive healing. Um, and as she continues to do that, for those of you that are new here, if you've been here a long time, you're very familiar with my mother, um, who has a ministry. She leads two ministries. One's called Somebody Cares New England. The other is called He Cares for Me. And He Cares for Me is an inner healing and deliverance ministry. Um, all I can say is... Wherever my mom goes, people get delivered. <laughs> I kind of grew up with it. Just she just really has a grace. And I, and to be honest with you, when you if right now if you're like deliverance, like I don't know if I believe in that. My mother came out of a ton of abuse and addiction and bondage. She's a first generation Christian, and back when I was born, because that's around the time she got saved, there wasn't a lot of healing and deliverance ministries. She just literally had to lay on her living room floor and ask the Lord to meet her. And, um, and deliverance came, delivered from alcoholism and all kinds of torment. Um, but with that said, it really is like her life's ministry. And so if you're here, if it's just emotional healing that you need, if you know you need deliverance, um, or to be honest, if you're just in areas that you just know you need a touch from the Lord, you might not even have a specific thing that you know you need healing about, I would just encourage you, she's going to be doing the next four weeks on Monday nights. Um, you should go to Monday nights no matter what. Um, but I would just encourage you while she's there because it, it, it is a trek for her to come in. And so it's just for four weeks that she'll be joining us. So you should, you know, join that um, prayer set on Monday nights. Um, so for those of you that weren't here last week, we pretty much, um, we started kind of a two-week series. Um, and we talked about basically how the Israelites, that they were actually instructed that in the midst of God's faithfulness and him providing, specifically like when they crossed over the Jordan River, they were instructed actually to, to take 12 stones as like a memorial and an altar to, to remember how God led them and how he was faithful to them. Um, and also Paul instructing Timothy to use the prophecies concerning him to wage a good warfare. And this place that where God has led us, what God has done and what God has spoken, that we're to remind ourselves of those things and to wage a good warfare. So there's two things here is one is you may be new to this community and kind of the storyline that we're going to share today of how God has established us and led us. It's important for you to hear it. Um, because it's who we are. If you don't understand the storyline, you kind of don't know what you just came into. <laughs> um, but also, if you've been here for a long period of time, it's a reminder for you to remember the promises of God and what he spoke to us and what this is unto. Because it's really not unto a couple hundred of us gathering in a ballroom on Sundays. Um, it's unto something much greater. And so we as a spiritual family have some extraordinary promises from God that he's spoken to us in some extraordinary vision. So we're kind of at the beginning of of the beginning. Um, and as Michelle said, that we're actually going to be starting a fast March 1st through April 9th. Um, for those of you that maybe the language, I'm just going to say, because we're going to delve into a story, and I'm, I'm hoping I don't have to like slow down and explain everything along the way. But if the language of revival or even fasting is new to you, um, I just want to, as an introductory statement, say, first of all, pertaining to revival, that language might be a word that you're not familiar with, but when you look in the word of God, it's not a new term that we're coming up with. When you look at the word of God, you find all throughout the word of God, you can look at Sinai, you can look at Mount Carmel, you can look at Nineveh, you can look in the New Testament at Book of Acts, and what you find is when hearts are revived and awaken to the purposes of God, to the love of God, and, and there's a reviving that comes. That's why the word revival. And so if you're kind of like, I don't know how to, and you've probably heard many different definitions of it and language concerning it, because if you actually study, there's like 56 revivals that you can like look at date, time, and I don't mean even Bible, I'm talking history, that you can look at date, time, and the effects that they had upon the masses in conversion. And so you can actually go through and study those things, and when you see that, what you recognize is people are awakened to the love of God 
and the purposes of God. There's an awakening of the heart that takes place. So it's actually not something out of the norm that we're talking about. It's talking about coming into our rightful intended place where God has created us to be. And sometimes we have to return to that because we depart from that. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know, the Tabernacle of David, when day and night worship and prayer was instituted, we actually did a whole day yesterday. How how many of us were there for several hours? You actually find that after the tabernacle of David was actually established, there was six subsequent times in history that basically Israel had a sense of revival, meaning they were returning to the Lord and returning to covenant, that there was repentance and renewal. And then from that, they would actually reinstitute day and night worship and prayer. It was, it was a way of them actually bringing the culture back to the place of remembering and, and living in a lifestyle of awakening. Um, so when we kind of, and then also the, the, talking about fasting, if you're unfamiliar with fasting, all I'm going to say to you is the word of God, is, I know some people think, well, you have the ministry of that. You have a grace to fast. I don't have that. The word of God says when the bridegroom is taken away, then they will fast. Who's they? It's the disciples. So if we're a disciple, and if you think about it, then if, when the bridegroom is taken away, it's a sense of lovesickness. It's a sense of longing for his return. And to be honest with you, in some, for some of us, in the sense of, you know, yes, for his return as far as his second coming, but a lovesickness for his manifest presence in our midst and for what he's intended and ordained for there to be. So really fasting, Daryl goes, two people. Really what fasting is, is, is a sense of longing for something. And when you long for something even more than you, you desire your necessary food, there's a grace that comes upon you because it's, it's not so much kind of a bartering with God. It's simply a posture of the heart. And to be honest with you, in a very practical sense, it's making room. There's, there, you're making room for God. You're saying, I need more of you, so I'm making space for you. I'm creating space for you. And I would encourage you, if that language is new to you, turn to Daniel chapter 10. Look at Daniel as far as the posture of fasting that was taken there. And then there's a delay He doesn't even see kind of the fulfillment of the answer or to what he's praying and fasting for. But the angel of the Lord comes and says, from the first day you set your heart, Daniel, from the first day you opened your mouth, that I was sent on your behalf. And there's this warfare taking place between the, the prince of Persia and Michael taking place. So he doesn't even understand what his fasting is doing. So for some of you, when you enter into a 40 day fast, you might not even understand that some of the bondage in your own life, some addiction some emotional brokenness, that there's a loosening that's even starting. And as you continue, you'll see a place of breakthrough and victory. And I I love how Michelle encouraged you. Yes, there is fasting, and we're all very familiar with fasting with food. But let's be honest, you could go without all your food and still stay immersed in your television, in in, in your communication with people, and immersed in distraction. Part of fasting is, you know what you're doing, is you're setting apart a period of time to seek God in an intensified way. So the question is to us, for March 1st through April 9th, how can we seek God in an intensified way? That for you might look very different than it looks like for your husband. Might look very different than it looks like for your best friend. But be responsive in in your heart response before the Lord to seek him in an intensified way. So March 1st through April 9th of 2006 is actually when we as a community, who we are here today, um, was actually established. And so just to give you kind of a little backdrop of um, how many of you guys are familiar with the First Baptist Church right in Central Square? If you ever take the T, you get up on the Central Square stop, that big mammoth, beautiful church that place was alive with night and day worship and prayer, continual <laughs> worship teams. Uh, we actually slept in the building. We had about 60 females. We built what was called the Blue Lagoon. We used tarps and <laughs> two-by-fours. And on hardwood floors, all the girls slept for the 40 days. And then upstairs, Daryl led worship every night, but upstairs the men slept in some upper room of this old church. Um, It was freezing, freezing in that building. It was the middle of winter, and it was not warm like this at all. We were buried in snow. We were freezing. And everybody had to go to the YMCA to shower. Let me just ask you a question. If I just show of hands, how many of you want to sign up to do 40 days with me like that? (laughs) Most of you are like, yeah. You know, there was just... (laughs) 
But you know what? That just speaks of the level of hunger and desire. You know what? We didn't actually see it as a sacrifice. We saw it as glorious that we, for 40 days, got to be held up in that building to seek God and just worship God together. And we lived off of soup in the evening. We made soups. <laughs> That's what we... Um, but kind of how we landed there is... Um, in the year, it was 1999, and the language that we're talking about of prayer and of fasting and um, all of those things, it was the year 1999, and it was around that time that I began to pray and fast. Like, I think I did my first 40-day fast during that time. Um, and also at that time, there was a gentleman that I had heard about named Lou Engel that was going to gather on the Washington Mall for something called The Call, and it basically was to pray for revival in America. And so... Um, around that time, we began praying and fasting. We became very involved with the call. Um, and then the year after that, the year after the call in D.C., we actually did the call here in New England. And I shared a little bit about that last week as far as there was 40,000 people, that's what they estimated, that gathered in New England in 2001. And um, which, to be honest with you, since that time, there's never been a gathering like that that's taken place in New England as far as Christians coming together in united worship and prayer here. Um, it was one week, well, yeah, it was, it was one week after 9-11 took place, and, the, and those actually, the terrorists actually flew out of Boston, and so the city was kind of warning all of us that it wasn't safe and we shouldn't do that, but we move forward, 40,000 people show up. And so... At that gathering, obviously it's New England, so like with all the other calls, there were specific prayer points that we were praying into uh, during the solemn assembly. We were praying for the redigging of the wells of revival in New England, because if you're not aware, revival, ha I mean, New England has a very rich revival history. Um, you should read about it, you should study about it. Uh, you actually, I highly recommend Firefall, this book. Um, as far as revival history and studying it. I also recommend um, The Ten Greatest Revivals Ever. It's kind of just like kind of an overview and a recap. Um, but so we were praying into the redigging of the, the wells of revival. We were praying that um, the, the false ideologies that are coming out of the universities of the Northeast, um, that that door would be shut, and that once again, that basically this area would be awakened. And for those of you that aren't familiar, I mean, there's a ton of history that we can't get into today, but even the founding of Harvard, if you actually look into Harvard and the intended purpose, it was to raise up ministers of the gospel, a, a literate priesthood that could preach the gospel. You can find it in stone all around Harvard, the, the original intent and the purposes. And so everything, I'm just going to say this, everything that we're praying into it, we're not praying into something because we had a good idea. Or we just thought, well, it would be good. The amazing thing is, is that when you look at history and the things that we're praying into, it's because we actually hold the rightful deed. That, that the intended purpose of these places and of these things was unto the glory of God. And so because that's what it was intended for, that's why we have authority to pray that it would return to its intended purpose. So we're not kind of praying out of our own ideas and our own. And that way, you don't even have to wonder, does God want to do this? It's because it was in the heart of God from the beginning. And he was the initiator. He was the, the orientator of that. And so when you look at Harvard, and so when, you're, when we're praying for the universities, just for all of you that are kind of like, why are we praying for universities? What makes us think God's going to move there? Because if you actually look at the very first university and the precedence that was set, do you know it was actually called the School of the Prophets? If you actually go through some of Harvard's history, it will rattle your brain. They had, a, uh, they had a bell that would ring, and it was the call to prayer, that they would come to prayer. There was such an understanding of the need for raising up preachers of the gospel and to educate them in the word of God. And you can also study through history, like kind of how that declined. So we were praying for the universities, and we were also praying for another student volunteer missions movement, because also in the Northeast is the history of the sending of missionaries. So at that time, it was actually really interesting, because we were preparing for the call, and the founder of the call, Lou Engel, didn't know a lot of my history. He didn't necessarily know kind of where my heart or my vision had originated from. And for me, when I was in high school, uh, because I went to a wonderful Christian high school, I got to do a lot of study of um, revival history, but also in studying like the, the early, early American history, I began to be very, very aware of some of the original intended purposes and the covenants. And... Um, the light and the glory. Actually, I think Kathy just said that um, we ordered it. We, oh, it's there. Oh, my goodness. Wow, you people are fast. 
Um, the Light and the Glory is actually oh, an amazing book, and you should read it. It's available in the bookstore. But it was actually when I was 16 years old and reading early American history of realizing that the men and women that God sent, that as they were penning certain visions and covenants before God, God put a vision in their heart. God gave them a vision of what America would be. And so I'm just going to say for all of you that have come up under the school of um, very liberal education and think that is not <laughs> everyone's all. I'm, I'm just going to say to you this. You need to read other sources. You need to read other sources. And this is what I also want to say to you. You should go back and, and do your research because every single town in, in the Northeast here, in order for it to be settled, the first thing that they did was establish a church and they also established a covenant with God. Can you imagine the establishing of covenant with God? So before they even get here to Plymouth Rock, that whole area that we're all so familiar with, and you should even visit there because that, that will amaze you. Aboard the Arabella, Governor John Winthrop, he wrote something called A Model for Christian Charity. And in that, he actually wrote these words. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people and will command a blessing upon us in all of our ways so that we shall see much more of his wisdom, power, goodness, and truth than formerly we have been acquainted with. We shall find that the God of Israel is among us. <laughs> then 10 of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies, and, and he shall make us a praise and a glory that men shall say of succeeding plantations, may the Lord make it like that of New England. For we must consider that we shall be called a city set upon a hill, and that the eyes of all people are upon us. That the light, he goes on and on. He quotes Matthew chapter 5, that the eyes of all people are upon us. And then he actually, in his, further in his document, he goes on to talk about uh, New England being a stepping stone for the preaching of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Now, when you're reading these things, you have to understand, somebody didn't just come up with an idea, like, on their own. God inspired and God breathed a vision in the heart of these men and women. And you know what? I want to just take it a step further. I, I, I really want to even back us all up to understand, does anybody, <laughs> has anybody studied history enough to understand the amount of sacrifice, the amount of labor, the amount of turmoil, the amount of death and disease when you're coming to an unsettled land like New England? where they actually had to learn from the Native Americans here regarding corn and the planting and all of those things because they couldn't even survive. Do you know that even with the initial people that came over, two-thirds of them were wiped out the first winter because they just couldn't even survive? They had no nice warm houses, no nice warm fireplaces. The amount of sacrifice, and oftentimes when we think about the principle of pioneering something. And mind you, these people had a vision that God had placed in their heart. When we think about those things, we somehow think it's going to come about easily and without sacrifice and without pain and turmoil. But instead, if you actually look at early American history, all that we get to step into, all that we have inherited as far as ease and comfort and blessing, there were people that sacrificed and sowed greatly, but also lost loved ones, lost wealth, lost comfort because of a vision that they had in their heart. And I also want to just say, I know that even with the mixture, when we think about early American history, that not every person was a Christian and not everything that was done in the name of God was even just or right or true. Absolutely. No one is going to debate you on that. But you know what I want to say is look at the life of David. He was used by God, but he was not perfect in all of his ways. There was tainting and there was mixture and there was mess up and failure. So you can't discount the purposes of God or even how he will use fallen people. Because guess what? He wants to use you. And you ain't so perfect either. And you might actually get a little bit of your flesh and a little bit of your interpretation and your perception mixed in there sometimes. But the amazing thing about the grace of God is it doesn't disqualify you. That somehow with fallen humanity and our fallen nature, somehow he can still bring about his purposes. He's amazing like that. Aren't you glad he's like that? But when you look at this, these men and these women, they had a vision from God. They had something in their spirit that when they were coming to the new world, as they called it, what were they coming for? Yes, it was religious freedom so that they could worship in the way that they felt called to, but they had a greater vision that there would be religious freedom, but then from that, the gospel would be preached 
That's an astounding vision to have at the founding of a new nation. And so I'm reading this when I'm 16 years old. And mind you, I'm raised in Massachusetts. I'm reading about places that I've been and towns that I've been to. I'm reading about historical things and, and these, these old, 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 old people that walked the very same ground you're walking. And they walked with vision. They walked with prophetic insight and foresight of what this land would be. And I'm reading these things thinking, God had a dream. He had a dream, and this has not fully come to pass. I remember at 16 years old thinking, I want to see God's dream come to pass. I want to see New England be a stepping stone for the preaching of the gospel to the nations of the earth. And mind you, these men and women that came here, they had no idea. They had no way to be able to fathom or comprehend or understand that one day the nations of the earth would amass themselves in Boston. That was like nowhere on the radar, nowhere on the understanding of what actually would be taking place that this would actually be like the intellectual center that people come to be educated. So, you know, I'm reading these things at a young age and I'm thinking, this is what I want to see. This is all I want to see. This is all I want to do. I just want to see this. This is what I want to see. But then in reading revival history and finding, mind you, there's lots of revivalists go through it. Someone will be your favorite. You're gonna, you, you might love Finney, you might love Whitfield. I loved Edwards. I don't know why. Edwards just captured my heart and my imagination. His writings, uh, he was an amazing theologian. But in studying Edwards, I actually stumbled upon something that's called a humble attempt. And it's actually what he wrote to the New England leaders and the New England pastors. And in a humble attempt, he was pretty much calling them to prayer. He was saying basically, what would happen if there was united prayer? If we all came together in one accord in the place of prayer? And he actually began to give biblical prophecy of saying, this is what the Bible says that will happen. That there will be a song from the ends of the earth. And they'll sing glory to the righteous one. He began laying out biblical prophecy and saying... Let us come together in united prayer that the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. He had a vision that from Boston, if the pastors would pray together and seek the face of God, that somehow the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. Now, mind you, this is Edwards. Like, where is he pulling this out of? Do you even realize how long travel used to take for them? I mean, the gospel to be preached to the ends of the earth. And he's laying out biblical prophecy of ultimately the preaching of the gospel being fulfilled as it's said in scripture, that we could see that. This was Edwards saying this. So we're at the call, the call New England, and Lou actually says, he's like, for, your, for one of your portions, I want you to read a portion of a humble attempt. And I want you to renew covenant. I want with this generation that we would renew covenant that what Edwards said that he saw and wanted to see and gave his life to see that we as a generation would give our life to see that same thing. A, a, an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. How many of you guys want to live with the single, singular vision of an extraordinary move of prayer that would bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? So we do that at the call at the, and for me, mind you, you know, being asked to do that segment, obviously, uh, you know, he could have given me anything to pray or Recovenant with, but for me personally, to be able to pray into that because that's what had marked me as a 16 year old girl, and there I was at like 20, 23. Um, so we do that that day, but you know what's amazing to me is you do those things in those in certain points and times, and you don't realize that when you're doing that, the way it's marking your heart, but also setting, setting in motion your future of really what, what, is, <laughs> what your calling is and what it is unto. Because I can honestly say doing that that day in 2002, you know, I did it and it aligned with kind of my history and my past, but I can honestly say that that is what J-Hop Boston is unto. An extraordinary move of prayer, a spirit of prayer that would sweep this region and that the gospel would be preached to the ends of the earth. And so this was in 2002, and the interesting thing is after the call had kind of left and, you know, went on to New York, we did New York the next year and then kind of, you know, different locations across the U.S., it was after that point in time that I became aware of an abandoned college campus. It, was, it used to be a liberal arts school when I was growing up in the town next door to me, um, and that's all I knew about it, that it was a liberal arts school. And then it was after that time, kind of like 2003, 2004, that I was driving by this campus, and I, I realized it was vacant. And for some reason, you know how sometimes like, things just 
get your attention. Like there's just something that you're like, I'm intrigued. Like I, I almost like want to move on this campus and live here. <laughs> you know, there's something about this place. And so I began studying. I thought, well, what is the history of this place? And as I start studying the history of that campus, although, you know, like in the uh, 80s and 90s, it was a liberal arts school, it actually originally was an all-girls private school that Anne Hazeltine attended and went to. And for the, <laughs> wow, it's right. Anne Hazeltine married Adoniram Judson, and they were the first missionaries that were sent overseas to Burma, India. And so this school has a history, actually out of this school, because Anne Hazeltine's father was on the board, they actually established the first board of foreign missions, and this is actually where the funding came from, to be able to send these first missionaries overseas. So as I began studying about this and thinking, this is Anne Hazeltine, Adoniram Judson, this is where they were, um, or ordained and commissioned from, the actual board for financing and sending, all of those things, all of that history speaks to the redemptive purpose of that place. And so I'm looking at all this and reading all of this and just thinking, okay, it's an abandoned college campus, and if this is the history, it needs to be preserved. Like it needs to be, so the more I'm studying about this and understanding, you, there's actually a revival that took place on this college campus. And the testimony of the college campus was that when you stepped on the campus, it was like st stepping under the thunderings of Mount Sinai. And so the more I'm reading about this place, I'm like, it's abandoned. So we actually start prayer walking it. And our one thing that we're praying is, God, preserve this for your purposes. Let there be another missions movement. And, you know, it's around this time, obviously, IHOP was started in, like, 99. House of Prayer language was, like, just emerging. And so we began kind of, like, writing up, I still have them, writing up documents of, like, casting vision for people saying, hey, there's this college campus. What if it's a missions movement again, but it's all centered around House of Prayer? Like, what if it's all praying communities, that we, we don't go in our own strength and our own wisdom or just even as laborers, but we go as intercessors and from the place of prayer? What could be the fruit of missions when it's born out of the place of prayer? So we're praying over this college campus, and the crazy thing is, is I mean, it's a college campus, and some of you have actually been there. We hosted last summer our first 110 intensive there. Um, I know, I kind of like just gave away part... <laughs> I just give away part of the story, but uh, um, but we're we're praying over the college campus, and over and over and over again, like it's crazy because we're trying to get like intercessors from the New England area to come and things like that. People are coming. People are giving us all these words about. I see a connection between this campus, Bradford, and Boston. And I'm going, I don't know what that means. I have no connection to Boston. Thanks anyway. You know, like, I mean, people are just giving all of these words. I bring this little intercessor lady um, from, New, from New, she's from the New England area. And she had to take care of her eight-year-old daughter. So she was like, well, I'm going to come pray at the campus. She's like, but I'm, um, oh, it was her granddaughter. But I have to watch my granddaughter that day. She's like, so I'm going to bring my granddaughter with me. She doesn't tell her granddaughter anything about this college campus. The little eight-year-old girl, as soon as they step onto the college campus, she actually starts, like, trembling. The little girl, <laughs> shaking and trembling. The grandmother looks at her and says, what's happening? She's like, I see missionaries. I see missionaries, Grandma. I see missionaries. They're, they're being trained, and they're going all over the world. The grandmother's standing there thinking, okay, you know. <laughs> like, how does an eight-year-old girl, I mean, it's just extraordinary. But we had, like, story after story, after story like that, where I just kept thinking, okay, there's something to this. We're on to something, and God desires to do something here. So it stays abandoned. It stays vacant. Um, and then uh, it was probably, what was it like 2004, 2005, that you were in Bethel, at Bethel? I go, to Be I go to Bethel for a conference. And mind you, I'm praying over this college campus. It's like my thing. And I go to Bethel for this conference. And while we're there, um, this prophet calls me out. And the first thing he says to me is when he calls me out, he doesn't say anything other than Bradford College. He says Bradford College. And I'm thinking, who knows Bradford? I mean, mind, mind you, it's a small the only reason it's significant is because of its history. And at that point, nobody knew it. <laughs> nobody knew the history other than me in little history books, like going, something's happening here. So he says, Bradford College. And then obviously, he's got my attention. He said, you have eyes for the nations of the earth. And he said, that college where your feet stands, he said, will be the crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth. He, he goes on. I don't hear, like, you know, like prophecy, like that all made sense to me. My heart's exploding. I'm crying. It's amazing. Fortunately, a friend of mine recorded it. So when I went back like two years later, I, I, I was able to 
you know, hear this other part. After he said, um, crossroads for revival to the nations of the earth, in, um, he actually said, he said, the, univers uh, the universities of Boston, when they experience awakening, that will become the catalyst for the mission sending movement that you've seen. So he, so I don't even hear this. Like, you know what I mean? Because I'm like, Boston, that's somebody else. I don't care about universities. <laughs> you know? I'm just like, I just want to see missions. So I don't actually get all of this. And so this all takes place. I go around that time to California. And Lou has a group of us that, um, he was at Pasadena at the time. There was a place called Ma Auditorium. I didn't understand the history. I, I didn't really even care about it. I was like so locked on to what I was doing. Um, we go to this place called Ma Auditorium, and he's gathering a group of sons and daughters like to move out to California to plan a house of prayer. And I'm saying to him, I'm like, I can't be involved with this house of prayer. I'm locked on with this thing in Bradford. And I'm like manipulating in like the whole meeting, kind of like, we shall go to Bradford. <laughs> I don't know what you're doing out here. I'm, <laughs> we shall go to Bradford. But anyway, I know for me, I'm like, I'm called to Boston. Well, actually, at that time, it wasn't Boston. I'm called to the Northeast, and I'm laboring for this college campus. So we go on to the the Ma auditorium grounds and as we're like approaching the auditorium all I see is a man's face on the building I don't see any words I don't see anything all I see is a man's face and I go into travail anybody experienced travail before it's ugly it's messy you have no control over it it is just the most like what is going on I'm weeping uncontrollably trembling this was before we all had iPhones, so Therese Engel had a um, disposable camera in her purse, and Lou's going, this is a window. Yes, this is it. Look at that. Look at me. I'm a wreck. I'm an Look. <laughs> Lou's is happy, and he's actually very young, isn't he? <laughs> uh, but look at me. I mean, if you actually saw this picture up close, I mean, I'm red. It's snot. So Therese is like, we need a picture. There <laughs> She's like, this is a window to your future. And he's like, what's the connection with John Armand? And I'm like, who? I'm like, I don't even know who he's saying. I'm like, and I actually said John Arnott because the Toronto Vineyard Airport revival was taking place in Canada. And John Arnott was the guy. And so I don't even know what he's talking about. Like, I don't, I, I don't, I have no, I'm like, I'm not sure. Don't know what's happening here. I mean, at that point, you just can't make sense of it. When your body is manifesting, your spirit's bearing witness, and you're like, what is going on? Um, I still didn't understand. And to be honest, I didn't care about who he was or <laughs> I didn't even care. I, but when I started paying attention and it all started coming together, I come back, actually, from this trip, and it's that week, and I'm sitting in a coffee shop with a friend of mine. I have like my history book about Bradford College, because I'm locked on, I'm getting this college, I don't know how it's gonna happen, but something's happening here. <laughs> so I'm reading my history book about Bradford College. My friend has a history book. I had it here last week, I showed you guys. My friend has a history book about Bradford College, and when I look on her page <laughs> of her Bradford College history, and it says John R. Mott. And I'm like, John R. Mott? I'm like, that's the guy in California. She's like, John Arnott? You know, we all, <laughs> everybody knew about John Arnott. I was clueless about John Arnott. So I'm like, give me your book. I start reading John Arnott and how he came to Bradford, Massachusetts. Because when the first band of missionaries, Adonai and Judson and Hazeltine, and from that there was like 47 others that went, a hundred years later, he came to commemorate their sending they erected a memorial. Many of you have been there, there in Bradford, right at the Commons. We went and commissioned our people there. They erected a memorial there, and he gave the most beautiful speech. And he basically said, these men and these women, they had dreams and they had visions. But their dreams and visions were not realized in their generation. He said, if you're asking what is God's call in your life, it's to see those dreams fulfilled. And he said, the call on our generation is to pick up that vision and to see the world evangelized in this generation. And so there he is 100 years later, and he's calling them to the missions movement, and he's calling them once again from that place in Bradford, Massachusetts. So for me, I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> this is why. He's a part of like the big story and all of these details. And so it starts to make sense to me. And to be honest, th those are the points where you really start to pay attention. You're like, okay, like clearly... God is doing something in my heart. God is doing something even with this physical location. And it's time for me to really pay attention to this. Um, 
so you know those pieces kind of like come together and then what happened was is it was actually at, in 2005 they had planted the Justice House of Prayer um, in Washington DC in like 2004, 2005. And Lou had asked actually about planting a house of prayer in Boston. And this is me, like my stubborn, strong-willed self. I'm like, nope, I can't do anything with the house of prayer in Boston. I'm locked onto this college campus in Bradford. Like this is what I'm living for. This is what I wanna see. I actually said, I'm like, I don't have a heart for university students. <laughs> and so probably like three times he actually contacted, um, you guys are all familiar with Brian Kim, he's been here a couple times. He, he was his assistant at the time. And so, you know, Brian would kind of hound me about it. So finally, after the third time, I actually said, I said, I'm gonna go on a three-day water fast. If God speaks to me, then I'll do it. Because I had nothing, I, nothing. I, all I knew was missions movement at Bradford. That's all I wanted, all I was seeing, and obviously out of House of Prayer. Um, so, I go on my water fast. During the water fast, the only thing I get from the Lord is go back to the word from Bethel. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, I know the word from Bethel. It's all about Bradford. <laughs> I know that word. I like that word. I'll hold on to that word. You know? <laughs> I go back to the word from Bethel, and it's the first time I hear, as you see awakening on the college campuses of Boston, it will be the catalyst for the, <laughs> I know, right? It's the first time I hear it. It's the first time I understand it. And the, and the entirety of the word goes into really talking about Boston, how the nations of the earth think that they're coming for a degree. And they're not coming for a degree. They're coming for the fire of God. So it's at that point in time where I'm paying attention to this word going, oh, I guess Boston has something to do with this. Um, and it was, this is actually really interesting. Brian said to me in a meeting th at that time with Lou, he said, Bethany, I believe your vision. I believe it's from God. I know it's from God. He said, but I think you're 10 years out with that vision. He said, there's a place that you have to begin and some place to labor. And he said, and then that vision will come to pass and you'll see that come to pass. Um, which is interesting because like 10 years from the time that he said that, was the summer that we actually were on the campus for our very first intensive on Bradford College and doing, which is amazing, like the 10 year window. Um, so it's around that time. So pretty much at that point in time, you know you have to say yes, right? You're like, what? <laughs> okay. Um, and at that point, Lou's like, we should plant like right at Harvard. And I, to be honest with you, I still at that point, because uh, for those of you that don't know, Daryl and I, prior to being here, my mother pastors a church in the city of Haverhill. We planted that church with her and it's all addicts. It's all prostitutes. It's, we, they feed 250 families a week. It's all a mercy ministry. Um, and so we were very involved and very engrossed in that. And so the thought of like uh, educated intellectuals while I was working with prostitutes and addicts, I was like, ah, this is more where I feel my heart and God's heart. I don't have vision there. Um, so it was around that time, I pretty much just had to say yes, <laughs> obviously. You just have to do it. So I had said yes. This is interesting. It was like December of 2005. And this is just going to give you guys all perspective. I'm going I'm to fast forward through this story of us being established. It's going to give you perspective and understanding of God looks for obedience. Like in our day and in our time, we're all about like strategy and five-year plan. I, I love you. I love you people that can come up with those awesome plans. I'm just like, I'm just trying to obey God. <laughs> I just want to obey God. Like I, I'll do it. I'll go there. I don't know how to make it work. I don't have a strategy. I don't have a big fundraising plan that's laid out for, you know, like I don't have all the steps. All I know is I'm going, yes, <laughs> like that's my strategy. <laughs> and let's just hope it lands well, right? Because I said yes. And so you, you, you just got me. Like, you got whatever I have to give, I'll give you and work something out with that. So I say yes. <laughs> I do my yes. It's in December, and Lou says, okay, March 1st, we're calling a fast. He's like, we're going to bring the Justice House of Prayer in D.C., our team. So all together, there was like 100 of them. We're going to bring our team. He's like, we're going to call the Universities of America to come. I'm like, <laughs> come where? <laughs> I have no place to host you. You know, so I'm like, March 1st. So let's just do the math for all of you that are into conference planning and intensives. I mean, we have people, their heads are spinning right now because we're doing our intensive in the summer. And everyone's like, what? This is so soon. You know, and I'm like, yeah, it's all right. We can pull together in three weeks. But 
So, you know, March 1st, and I'm like, okay, here's me going, yes, okay, we'll do that. Three months, I give my notice at my job, my nice job. Um, mind you, this was like, what, 11, 12 years ago. This is hilarious when I think about it. I worked for these people that owned several companies, and I was technically their nanny. But so we're talking, um, what is that, 11, 12 years ago. At that point, giving my notice, they were paying me $25 an hour with full benefits of 401k. Like, they, they were very kind to me. I, you know, had paid six days, paid leave, all these things. So when I give them my notice and tell them that I'm leaving, they say, do you need more money? We'll pay you more money. They're like, what are the next people paying you? I'm like, no, I won't be paid. No, <laughs> I'm not being paid, actually. <laughs> Taking a big leap of faith, you know. And so, but even leaving that, it's funny now when I talk to different people and young adults today, uh, like as far as even like nannying and things like that, 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 those people were very kind, very generous. And, and even at that point in time when I said to them, this isn't really about finances, I'm trying to obey God. <laughs> so gave my notice. I told them I would be gone by March 1st. So I wanted them three months time to find a new nanny. During that time is the very first time I decided to drive my car into Cambridge. I'm like, well, I should probably go figure out where we're hosting this thing. <laughs> so I'm driving in. I actually happen to get off on this exit. So I go into the city. The first church I see is the First Baptist Church, that big, beautiful brick church. And I, when I see it, I go, I like that, Lord. You know, <laughs> I'm like, oh, and, you know, I saw the red line there. I, like, I had enough common sense to be like, okay, red line, that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing, being on the red line. You know, we can go right down to downtown. I'm doing all that. I'm like, I like this place. I want this place. So I don't even write down the name of it or anything like that. I end up driving around the city. I can't even find anything else I'm interested in or I'm like, where do you host like 100 people to sleep there, to pray there? How do you do this in the city? I begin calling all the people I know because I happen to know lots of leaders like throughout New England. I had very good relationships. Every single one of them is like, I, we can't help you and we don't even know how you're going to do that good luck, <laughs> you know, kind of like, you're crazy, <laughs> you stupid little 26-year-old, you know, <laughs> like, they were just like, this is not going to happen, so I make all my phone calls, no one can help me, everyone pretty much tells me it's not practical, and I should come up with a new game plan, so around this time, it's uh, two weeks before they're going to start, and I mean, there's websites, like, Lou's team has websites telling college students to spend their spring break in Cambridge and come to 24-hour uh, worship and prayer, you know, and we're going to do 40 days and all these things, and I'm going, I don't have a location. I don't even know how any of this works. So it's two weeks before I say to Lou, how close do we get the one we cancel? Like, because <laughs> we don't have a place. How do we, you have to tell these people because they've bought plane tickets, and he says, we don't cancel. He's like, something's going to work out. It's a week before. It's a week before. I mean, people are emailing me, like, I'm flying in from Arizona. There's, like, all these campus leaders that are like, we're joining you. We're going to be flying in. I'm like, dang. I'm like, <laughs> dang. <laughs> like, oh, no, what have I done? <laughs> you know? And anyway, week before, I'm at a meeting. Somebody steps up and orchestrates some things, says some things. First Baptist Church is now available. So we rent the First Baptist Church, the little, I'd like that one, Lord. Um, so we get the First Baptist Church. We're doing 40 days, 40 nights. Let me just tell you, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It was difficult. It was hard. Sometimes people were grumpy. And uh, the whole list of things, it's difficult, painful, all of those things. But in the midst of that, you know, I'm fasting and I'm tired. And all of these people are going to leave April 9th. They're all going to, like, pack up and go. Like, all the worship people, all the singers, all the musicians. And every night, Lou would get up and go, after this 40 days, we're launching a house of prayer. And I'm like, he's like, where are we going to have it? I'm like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I don't even live in the city. I, like, <laughs> like, I don't know what we're doing. I mean, we're talking about clueless. This is what I want to say to you. Oftentimes, we, like, look at certain stories or storylines, and we, we think that somehow it came together easily, or people knew what they were doing, or they had, like, a big plan, or, you know, like, all this amazing backing. I'm like, it's me, myself, and I. You know, <laughs> here I go. So it's the 40 days are coming to an end. And I'm actually on the front row one night, and I'm th actually thinking, I'm like, this was the stupidest idea I ever had. <laughs> like, these people are packing up and leaving. I'm stuck here. I'm stuck here by myself. I got no job now. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, this is crazy. And I actually say to the Lord, I'm like, 
I, I, I'm going to need you to like speak to me because this is insane. I don't even like Cambridge. You know, <laughs> I'm just like, this is crazy. So during that time, a friend of Lou's um, had a dream. He was with us that whole 40 days. And he gets up ever so, because he's quiet in, in, in very quiet in tone. And, you know, I'm like, this better be good. <laughs> you know, I'm like this is going to be a really good word to keep me here. And so he actually says, and this is like the most profound thing. And it just recentered me. I'm like, God is in this. He actually said, he said, I saw masses of young people, like, representing college students. And he said, this is in a dream. And he said, in, in, in the dream, he said, I saw welts on the temples of their head. And he said, when I saw the welts, and he said, I actually said to the Lord, what is that? Like, what are the growths? What's that, like, problem? And he said, I heard the voice of God in the dream say, it's poison ivy on the mind of a generation. And then he said he heard God go on to say, and he said, the Ivy Leagues were intended to be the leaves of healing for the nations of the earth. And instead, they've poisoned the mind of a generation. But once again, I will cause light and glory to go to the ends of the earth from those places. So obviously, I'm there and going, okay, <laughs> I can do that because it, it lines up with missions signed by a cap. And it was actually during those 40 days that the Lord did such a work in my heart because I always had a heart for people in poverty. I always had a heart for the impoverished in like missional living. And it was during those 40 days, and I think it was actually after the word that he gave, I realized regardless of your education, regardless of your social class, regardless of your bank account, that all of us ultimately, we are poor in spirit. And without the spirit of God, we stand the same. Like, I don't care how nice your clothes are, and I don't care how bad the addict's clothes are. I don't, I don't care. It, I, I began to realize, like, when it comes to humanity, like, oftentimes we categorize who we have a heart for. Instead of understanding that all humanity is poor and deprived and wretched and weak. And so the Harvard student is just as depraved without Jesus. It, education and money does not change that. It's, it's the position and the posture of the heart. And so I began to have compassion. I began to see it completely differently, you know, for me. So they pack up. They leave on April 9th. And so because Lou every night is announcing that we're going to have a house of prayer, God bless them. From the people, like a kid from Arizona, another girl from Oklahoma, um, like three people afterwards were like, I'll stay with you my gosh, where do I put these people? <laughs> I'll stay with you. So they leave and I have three people with me to help me pioneer the house of prayer. <laughs> so for, <laughs> for those of you guys that have met Laura Toronto, we had this, because um, you know, relationships all throughout the city. Laura Toronto was an MIT student. So she actually says, you guys can stay in my dorm. She's like, you guys can stay. She was like a house mother or something. So there was like an extra room. We use extra rooms in the MIT dorm. So we're, ba we're basically homeless. Yeah, that's pretty much what you could call it. And so the, the young people are like, okay, house of prayer. How do we start a house of prayer? I'm like, well, we don't have a physical place to pray. We're just going to prayer walk three times a day. We're just going to do morning, afternoon, and evening. We'll go prayer walk Harvard, prayer walk the city, and ask the Lord to speak to us. I'm like, that's the only strategy I got. So we do that. We prayer walk three times a day. We do that by, by the end of, so that was like April. Uh, by July, I was signing a lease. So pretty much two of them had left. I had one girl left with me. I think they were just like, this is crazy. You know, we're fasting. No one's eating. We're just prayer walking every day. So I go and I actually look at a property. <clears throat> and when I look at the property, it's actually funny. that The, um, the property was about $4,000. I sign a lease. I have no provable income. Uh, neither does the person I'm bringing in with me. I explained to them that we're going to like pray in the basement. And just for those of you that come to and from J-Hop and get to appreciate kind of the public prayer sets and people get to come and go, at that time, J-Hop's vision was not to open anything to the public. That wasn't their vision in D.C. Like no one was opening. It was to gather a constituted company of people that would give their life. And when I say give their life, I'm talking the entirety of focus, passion, vision, the one ambition, give your life in intercession to this end, to this end. Like not just like whatever prayer focus comes across your radar next week or the next exciting movement that decides to, you know, e-blast and you want to jump on it. But like this is your mandate and this is what you're giving your life for. So at that point in time, I'm like, it's me and this other girl. And to be honest with you, we would just do, I mean, we would pray all through the night. We, fa we were fasting, we were praying. So we're staying in this house through a course of events, 
actually another married couple was going to join us. They were actually students. And this is why I'm just saying like the posture of obedience. They were going to join us and it, it, they were paying like a very, 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 very minimal amount, but it still was going to be amount to live with us. What happened was, is during the course of months, I be, just began to realize like with them being students, their heart really couldn't and wasn't in the house of prayer. So we're like Esther fasting, puking, and they're making pancakes. You know, <laughs> like it just was such a, and I'm saying this to you to say, I really wrestled and I talked to Lou continually about it. And we tried to work through different scenarios of like, well, what prayer times do work for you? And, you know, just trying to bring that, the focus of the house of prayer in, into clarity. And it was around that time I began to realize is although financially this helps because it's like, you know, like $500 a month coming in. So at least out of my 4,000 that I owe 500, that's exciting. You know, but I'm going to say something to you in talking with Lou. I just realized I was like, we have to remain focused and do what we're called here to do. We're really not called, you know, to kind of be J-Hop house of parties, <laughs> the, the justice house of parties. Um, but it's a house of prayer. And so, and I'm going to share this story with you for the, the sole purpose of you understanding. After meeting with them several times, they pretty much did say, yep, like our social life, college is our focus, studies, we want to be immersed in that. We agree. They were going to transition out. And it was around that time that there was an intercessor that actually contacted me um, and actually said to me, Bethany, I just see November 15th as like a defining time for the, the foundation of what you're establishing there. And I remember thinking like, what's November 15th? And so it ended up being that that was the date that they were gonna move out. That was like their move out date. And you know what, I, this is, I'm gonna say two things. They actually had furniture that they brought with them. So me and my other young lady that was living with me, pretty much we had like nothing. You gotta remember, I mean, for any of you that have never lived on your own, we moved into a big house <laughs> to establish a house of prayer. We had nothing, no finances. So they move out and I'm just like, God, I don't even have a pot to boil soup in for this young lady that's here building a house of prayer with me in Cambridge. Like this is all crazy. And so around that time, I got a phone call from someone that said, hey, we had a shipment. Remember, I worked in compassion ministry. We had a shipment of things, and pretty much we have no place to put them. They have to be moved by this weekend. We have no one to take them. Could you use some things? And I'm like, I could use, like, all the things. <laughs> I don't care what it is. Like, <laughs> I don't care if it's a lawn chair. At least I can sit in something in the prayer room. <laughs> so I was like, we'll take it. We go to take the stuff, and mind you, it's brand new amazing all pottery barn furniture it's potter <laughs> i know it's pottery barn rugs and and i mean I, it just went on and on and on and on for days and we're like unpacking stuff and i'm like this is so crazy but god totally provides and so you know that takes place but even around that i know everyone's excited <laughs> like yay <laughs> I can remember, actually, because Daryl and I weren't married at the time. When I would tell him, he'd be like, what are you going to do? Like, almost like, <laughs> and my answer was always, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not exactly sure. But um, it was around that time, a friend of mine was out on staff out at IHOP. Um, and, you know, obviously, there's lots of job opportunities and things like that out there. And we were having a conversation. And I can remember, because I told you guys a little bit, you guys got like a snapshot kind of of the history of like God giving me vision for the Boston, the Northeast. And it would take days to go through all of it as far as some of the words that Derek Prince had for the Northeast, like things that we haven't seen fulfilled that for me, I know that God has given me vision to see them happen. And so this particular person that I was talking to was just talking about how hard it was, like, like kind of how crazy I am, <laughs> crazy I was to stay and do what I was doing under the circumstances. And when the person was talking to me, they just said, you do understand that all of us would not only understand and agree, but probably would recommend that it's, it's time for you to eject. Like, this is not... This is not working. It's too difficult. You're on your own. You have no backing. And then like our national ministry was going through a lot of transition at that time. So it just affected everything. And I actually remember, and I remember where I stood. I remember the sliding glass door that I was looking through. And my words to this person is I said, God has spoken to me too clearly for me to ever question or to turn aside. I said, I've been given an assignment he has spoken his word to me and I have his promise and I cannot move from it. And I said, even if he never speaks to me again, I know what I'm going after. 
I'm standing in that basement all by myself thinking, oh my gosh, like I just said, if God never speaks to me again. But I can honestly tell you that even now that there's times that when I look back on the history, when he's made it so clear and he's made it known what his desire is, there comes a point where all you have to do is be consistent and be steadfast. There's a place where you just simply say, God has spoken to me, so therefore I will not move. See, most of us are actually just like looking for a new call or looking for like a new word or a new direction because it gets boring and it gets hard. I'm going to say something to you right now because this has nothing to do with me. We would not have Hilltop Church if two young ladies just got bored and it got hard and we got sick of eating donated oatmeal because that's what we were eating. We were eating from food pantries. We would not have Hilltop Church, the community, and not even the people here. You guys have no concept of the people that have been trained here, have been awakened to a lifestyle of prayer here, and now they're all over the globe, and we still keep in contact and touch with the way... I have young people email me all the time saying, I thought when I came to Boston, it was supposed to be a really dry, barren, hard spiritual existence. Everybody told me to be careful, but I came and I found you guys, and I experienced awakening like I've never known in my life. I experienced a touch of God. You don't know how many people have actually told me that they have not known the language of prayer and fasting. But when they came here, they were equipped in it so that now where they've gone back to, and some of them are involved in ministry and business in different areas of society, that they use the tools that they gained here in Boston, which supposedly is so godless and so hard and so anti-Christ, but yet there's a community of people that are flourishing because it's rooted and grounded in the place of prayer. And I say this to you to say, it's not because it was always easy. It's not because we had, you know, a a cloud by day and fire by night all the time. Sometimes it's simply by saying, I've heard your word. You have spoken to me and I'm going to honor what you've said. And you know, the other thing too is the place of understanding covenant. That when he makes a covenant with a geographical location and with a people, that we are the ones that need to stand in the place of holding him to his word. Do you know how many times, whether it's scripturally, as far as uh, scriptures that talk about from the ends of the earth will hear this song, glory to the righteous one. He's made it known scripturally that there is a song of worship that will arise from the ends of the earth. He has made it known scripturally that from from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, every people group, that he is going to receive glory and honor, and his name will be worshipped and adored. That's his word. That's not your vain idea or your lofty thinking or kind of like my pie in the sky. I want to see it someday. He has said, this is my will. This is my desire, and I'm looking for a people to partner with me in agreement for my purposes to be released. And oftentimes what it is, is he can't find people in agreement because we're so busy looking for our comfort and looking for someone to pat us on the back. We're so looking to feel good about something and feel like we've accomplished something. There's years upon years that if I look back, it looked like nothing was accomplished other than me as my pitiful self walking and prayer walking around Harvard. God, raise up young men and women. God, raise up firebrands across this campus. And you want to know something? I see our awakening team as weak and as frail as you people might feel? Do you want to know you're an answer to prayer? You are an answer to prayer. See, this is what you have to understand. You have to understand what is your part and what is yours to pray into. There are many, 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 many things that will come out of Boston. Although I might know that I'm going to pray into them and I'm going to labor for it, it's not mine to do. And nor am I going to try to toil and become something I'm not. Instead, I'm going to stand and I'm going to pray for those people to be raised up that are a specific voice on the campuses. I'm going to pray for missionaries that they would be sent to the nations of the earth so you know your part and your position. You play your part and your position and you stay in your place. And for some of us, the place of prayer is our place. I mean, mind you, we planted a church. So, you know, we (laughs) there's things that... God has put responsibility on us to do. And there's places where then when we pray, he gives us vision and responsibility to do those things. But all I'm saying is that there's a place of consistency that when it doesn't feel good, it doesn't look good. If God has spoken a word to you, you do not move from it. Because oftentimes then we're kind of wandering in confusion. I don't know what God's saying. I don't know what my call is. I don't know what my, he's already spoken to you. 
And you know what I want to say to you? If you don't feel like God, it's fine. It's totally fine if you don't feel like God's spoken to you. There's no judgment, no condemnation there. But you know what I want to say to you? If you don't feel like God has given you like kind of your thing to lock down to, number one, I would say just begin to recount kind of your history with the Lord. Like what brings tears to you? For me, revival is, is the, the beginning and the end. And you can think, well, that's so vague and broad. And No, it's not. It's, it's humanity, whether it's Cambridge, whether it's Boston, whether it's New England, whether it's America, whether it's the nations of the earth. It's them experiencing the inbreak of the kingdom of God and that their hearts would be awakened to the love of God and that they'd experience the power of God. It's God's name being glorified in the nations of the earth. But there's something that makes you tick. I mean, for some of you, it might simply, it, it could be that children, you have a heart for children. You look at children and you can identify kind of with their brokenness and the places that they feel lonely and isolated, and you want God to touch children. You have to look at what you're passionate about and begin to review those places that God has spoken to you. Some of you have dreams and you don't even understand them. Like you might have a dream of something and you don't even understand what it is, but it's God speaking to you. We have to pay attention to those things that God speaks to us. And so for me, at that point in time, I actually said, even if God never speaks to me again, even if he never speaks another word, I know what I'm called to do and I won't move aside from it. And to be honest with you, sometimes obedience looks like standing alone. Obedience looks like there's no one else there with you. And mind you, I, we have a wonderful, wonderful spiritual family. We, we really do. Uh, Lou Engel, who founded the House of Prayer. But, you know, geographically, when you're here by yourself, <laughs> there's times I'd be prayer walking, crying, kind of like, this is so depressing, and, and, and calling him on the phone. And he actually would say, like, I can't believe, I don't, I don't know how you live there. <laughs> he would actually say, I left Boston. That was the darkest time of my life. How many of you have ever heard his testimony after the 40 days? He actually says, I went down, down, down. <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> But there is a place of loneliness where you just have to, we should look at what time it is. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Well, there we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, this is all I'm going to say is from that place, we transition into the house of prayer that we have now, that 135 Western Avenue. And if I could just tell you, unbelievably, the provision that one person gave me the 14000 for first, last, and security, she then also told me that for the first year, she'd pay the entirety of the rent on the house. And at that point, she actually said, and I actually want to pay you $2,000 a month as your support. Now, mind you, this is the girl that is not good at fundraising, is not good at campaigning. I'm just not good. <laughs> Can't do it. But it's also the woman, this, this particular woman that funded me. I only spoke to her one time in my life prior to that. And it was after the call, New York City. And at the call in New York City, I, I prayed a segment on a, a, a generation being married to the Lord. And at, after that time, obviously I feel called to prayer, clearly, but I also felt like, well, I need to like establish a business or a way like for, to fund myself or to, and so she, this particular woman, she was a fashion designer. And so I had called her and I basically said, hey, I, I, I think I want to start a fashion line. And I think that this is like, you know, what I want to do. Her words to me were, were you the young lady that prayed in, at the call in New York City? And on a brown, she described me to a T, what I prayed and what I was wearing. And I said, yes. She said, I heard you pray. She said, you should not start a fashion line. You just need to pray. <laughs> that was what she said. And I said, I said, oh, I will pray. I will not stop praying. I was like, but in addition to praying, I would like to fund things. I, I want to be a funder. I don't want to be a... Yeah, I want to be a funder. <laughs> That's my. So she just, again, she shut me down. She said, nope. She said, I will not give you any advice because that's bad advice for you. You need to pray. <laughs> and she hung up on me. I'm like, oh, hmm, little old lady. <laughs> but you know what? This is the same woman that ended up seeking me out in 2007, 2008 and saying, I want to give you this, these finances. I want to support you. And she did support us extravagantly and lavishly for a very, very long time. If I told you the stories and the stories and the stories of God just speaking and confirming and being faithful to lead us, it would, blow, we'd, it would be days. But I say all this to say is, number one, your heart should be envisioned but also emboldened for revival in New England. That he does not set us here. He does not speak and confirm and provide and do all of those things unto nothing, 
but he's confirmed his word, but not just revival in the sense of we all want to feel good and have an outpouring, revival unto the gospel being preached to the ends of the earth. And so what I want to say to you is that when we enter into this fast, number one, you should have extraordinary faith and be emboldened to pray for revival in New England. But two, you should sign up for a life of prayer and fasting because there's a journey that God desires to take you on. And oftentimes, you know, we, we think of it as it somehow it's supposed to happen quickly or overnight. What if I was five years in and was like, this is not materializing. This is boring. I'm sick of praying with the same five. Uh, Will's been praying with us for nine years. Same people in that prayer room. Sometimes you're looking at the same people and thinking, are we doing anything significant here? <laughs> but you do not know what your prayers are putting in motion. And so, yes, praying for revival in New England, but what I want to say is during these 40 days, ask God to do a work in your heart that you would be consecrated to the place of prayer and fasting. That your spiritual journey, but also your calling and your testimony of what God wants to do through your life, that not only would it be birthed, but it would be sustained through prayer and fasting. When we stand to our feet, I'm going to close this in prayer. God, I thank you, Father, for the community of people that you've gathered here God, I thank you, Father, for the words, God, that you have spoken over Boston and the Northeast, Lord, Lord, that even from our founding, God, you have spoken your intended purposes, Lord, for this region. And God, I thank you, Lord, for a community of people, Father, that are impregnated with hope, a community of people that are impregnated with faith for what it is that you desire to do. And God, even as we begin, Lord, March 1st, and we set apart these 40 days, God, we say, God, breathe fresh hope upon this community of people. God, I ask, God, for fresh words and fresh visions, Father. God, I ask, Lord, for those, Lord, that even may be called to this geographic location and called unto this end. Lord, I just ask, Father, that you would speak to their hearts and, Lord, that you would envision them them, God, during this time. God, I ask for those, Lord, that are only here for a season and are called other places. God, we ask, Lord, that this would be an extraordinary season, Lord, set apart for you during these 40 days, God, that you would encounter hearts. God, we say, Father, God, make us a people that are tender to your voice. God, make us a people that are tender to your leading. God, we want to be people that earnestly and fervently, God, seek after you, Lord, that you would find us as a seed community, Father. Lord, we say that you are worthy of night and day worship and prayer. God, that you are worthy of our adoration and our devotion. God, you are worthy, Lord, even of our ambition, Father. Lord, that our great ambition is that your name would be made great in the nations of the earth, Father. Lord, I ask, God, during these 40 days, God, would you reduce our community, Lord, to a cry that your name would be made great in the nations of the earth. God, God, I ask, God, that individual ambition would be brought down low. God, I ask, Lord, that competition would be brought down low. God, I ask, Lord, that places of striving for, for, for placement or status or position would be brought down low. God, and instead, we would just desire to be a part of your story, a part, Lord, of your name being made great in the nations of the earth. God, we say, God, do it. God, however you desire, do it, God, in your time table. Do it in your wisdom. Do it according to your blueprint. God, raise up, Lord, even sons and daughters. Lord, even in this house, God, that would be used as a part of your purposes. God, we ask, Father, Lord, that as a community of people, God, I ask during these 40 days, God, give us a longing for the glory of God. Lord, give us, God, a vision for the knowledge of the glory of the Lord to cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. God, I ask, Lord, for the community that's here, God, that we would not settle or be satisfied in the outer court. God, that we would not settle and be satisfied with words from preachers or teachers, but God, that there would be a cry and a yearning and a pressing in our spirit. Lord, that we would see the face of God, that we would hear the voice of of God. And Lord, that we would see the glory of God flood our lives, but also flood, Lord, this city and region. God, I just thank you, Father, that you'd mark us. God, mark us, Lord, with vision. And Lord, as we consecrate, Lord, this season to you, God, that we would be set apart for your purposes. Set apart, Lord, for your will. Lord, among us, Lord, find friends of your heart. Lord, friends of your heart, Lord, that we burn, Lord, for the vision of your heart, 
that we burn for the longing of your heart, that we burn to see your purposes come to pass in the earth, Father. We love you. Amen, amen. Well, we, we, uh, we're well over time, so we have about 40 minutes to get out of here. So